In the 1960s, there was a professor, philosopher, and he's kind of an expert in media theory named Marshall McLuhan. And uh, the, the, the phrase that he made kind of famous or popular, his big theory was this idea that the medium is the message. And the medium is the message means the method in which we communicate something is in itself a message, and sometimes even more important than the message or the content that we're delivering uh, through that medium. For example, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments set in stone, the fact that they were set in stone was that it was a message that these things have permanence and lasting value. So the medium is the message. If you were dating someone for a few years and uh, you, you had a serious relationship and you decided to break up with them via text message, there's a medium of the text message that says you're a coward, right? That says you don't really care about that other person or you're, maybe you're afraid, you know, you're afraid of them not... Um, Maybe for legit reasons, anyway. Um, so texting would be a medium. Uh, Twitter is a medium in which we communicate, and Twitter, as a medium, has certain values that it places onto us, even if we don't see it. So you're limiting, when you're limiting the characters to 140 characters or less, you're, uh, you're emphasizing urgency and, uh, and, and efficiency in communication. And when you do that, what happens is you just get a lot of really quick thoughts without the ability to go through in-depth and nuance. And so our attention spans get shorter and shorter. We, we skim over a million different things whenever we go into any one particular thing in depth. And so we create these mediums, these ways of communicating, and we shape them, and then they shape us. And we've seen, uh, one thing that, that baffles me is I think when I was a teenager, I could remember like 40 to 50 phone numbers just like that because I had to. But now with smartphones, I know my number, and that's about it. Um, our memories are, are going away because we have access instantly to all the information ever. Um, but we're starving for wisdom. The medium is the message. We shape our tools, our tools shape us. We shape our mediums, and our mediums shape us. We see that also in, in, in all sorts of areas of life. Uh, church architecture is, is one, for example, if you guys have ever been to a beautiful uh, and uh, tall, big, majestic Catholic cathedral, the medium of the architecture communicates something to us about God. It tells us that God is big, that God is other, that he's beautiful, that he's intentional. There's a sacredness to it, and oftentimes in, 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 in high churches or liturgical churches, you'll see the communion table be the centerpiece of the room, and that tells us of the centrality of the Lord's Supper and communion, and that this is the thing that our faith is built on. Now, I was raised in a Baptist church, and a lot of times they weren't as pretty as cathedrals. Um, and, and often in a Baptist church, what you'd find in the middle of the room or the central focus part of the room would be a pulpit. And what that communicated was that the teaching or the preaching of the word was the central element of worship. The medium is the message. How we construct things is a message in and of itself. Uh, being in a theater like this, and, and there's churches all across America right now that, that have similar setups, being in a theater communicates that you guys are here to, to listen, to consume, and that I'm on stage and worth listening to and some sort of expert. Um, but if you were to go to a, a Quaker gathering, uh, you might find chairs that are set in a circle where everyone is sharing and speaking of their own mind and heart, and that would emphasize and teach that uh, this idea of community and that we're all uh, the, the priesthood of all believers. So the way we set up our architecture um, in our different faith traditions communicates a message about what we think about God, what we think about our faith, what we think about how worship works, all these things. The medium is the message. And this, of course, is true when we get to God himself. God has communicated to us in so many different ways throughout history. And we have a, lot of, a variety of ways that he communicates, even in Scripture itself from Genesis to Revelation. So we start off in Genesis, and you have the Garden of Eden. God is hanging out with Adam and Eve, and it says that he used to walk with him in the garden face to face. 
in that medium of communication, that God would come in the flesh and, and hang out with Adam and Eve, communicate something about God, regardless of what he said, regardless of the words that he said, the fact that he communicated in this way also said something about him, that he was personal, that he was intimate, that he was there with us. And then as soon as the fall happens, we see a, a separation. God begins to speak in dreams. He's mysterious. He's distant. When he talks to Moses in the beginning of, of Exodus, he, he speaks to him through a burning bush. And he tells Moses, take your shoes off because you are on holy ground. There's this disconnect. He's separate. He's other. He's a little maybe perhaps unsafe. And as Moses and the tribe of Israel begin to travel from Egypt to Israel, God leads them cloud by day, fire by night, still separate and different and other. And they set up a tabernacle. They eventually get to Israel and Solomon eventually builds a temple. And in the temple, this huge temple where people would worship, God, God's presence dwelt in the, in the holy of holies. It was this kind of private room where only a handful of people could go to. And if you went in there and if your heart wasn't right, you would die. Um, they, they tied a rope with, with bells to the, to the priest's leg and if the dude walked in there and wasn't right, the, the bells would stop ringing and they'd drag him out. So this communicated that God was other and dangerous and unsafe. And there's a huge reverence there, but there's a separation, clearly a different way of communicating to Israel than originally in the Garden of Eden. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and John says like this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his, his beauty. We beheld uh, who he was. He's full of grace and truth. And Jesus is described as Emmanuel, God with us. God is back with us face to face, just like he was in Eden. In fact, when Jesus dies on the cross, that, that veil that, that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, that veil tore in two, symbolizing that God's presence is now back with us. It's, it's safe to be in the presence of of God again. Um, the medium is the message. How God communicates is, is as impactful often as what he communicates. And as the, as the church moves from the time of Jesus to the early church uh, part of, of, of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down on the people and begins to dwell in them. And Paul says that we are now the temple of God. What used to be the Holy of Holies where God's present dwelt uh, now is us as, as followers um, of God, that his spirit and his presence dwells within us. So Jesus was God with us, the Holy Spirit is now God within us. And we became the medium through which God communicated who he was. So the medium is the message. The medium in which God communicates to us is in itself a message. And this month we're going to spend uh, the, the next four or five weeks just exploring how did God first communicate to us? What was the first medium in which he told us about himself? We're going to look deep into Genesis 1 and the answer is creation. Creation is the thing that tells us about the creator. The first way that God communicated to us about who he is is through creation. Now, Paul says it like this in Romans 1.20. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And what Paul is basically saying, since the beginning of time, we have known who God is simply through experiencing creation itself. Creation tells us about the nature of and character of God. And have you ever slowed down and stopped to think, what does creation tell me about God? What does a sunset tell me about God? What does music tell me about God? What does bacon tell me about God? God is good. What does sex tell us about God? God is good. What does death tell us about God? Creation itself points us to God and tells us of who he is, his attributes, his nature, his, his character. Creation tells us who he is. So I want us to look at Genesis chapter 1. For a lot of us, this will be a very familiar passage. And I want us just to, to look at what does creation tell us 
about the nature of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you fast forward to the end of the chapter after he's created everything, it says, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So the very first thing that we know about God is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of, of our universe. God already existed, but in the beginning of our universe, God created the universe. He created the heavens and the earth. And in the Jewish uh, Bible, heavens is always plural. And here's what they mean by heavens. Heavens can mean the sky, the atmosphere, the space, the universe, and then the realm beyond what we know and where we think God, God's kingdom dwells. So heavens is all these things, and also the earth in which we live. So in the beginning, God created every single thing that we can imagine. And of course, Genesis begins to unpack what that looks like. And as we go through Genesis chapter 1, uh, and goes by phases, and, or what, what Genesis says as we translate, days. And so God created light and darkness, and he says, and it was good. And then God created and separated the, the, the water from the land, and he saw that it was good. And then God created uh, all the creatures of the earth, and he saw that they were good. And then God created us and made us in his image, and he saw that, that, was, that it was good. And at the very end of the chapter, it says, God looked at everything that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So what's the first thing we know about God and his nature through creation? That he is good. <laughs> the goodness of creation reflects the goodness of our creator. Now when we use the word good uh, in, in our culture, it really just means average. Like how is Transformer 6? It's pretty good. How is Chinese food at the eatery? Pretty good. How is everything else at the eatery? Not that good. Um, so when we use good, we usually mean average or okay, but in, in, and if we want to describe something that's incredible, we'd say, it's amazing, it's awesome, it's mind-blowing. Um, so good for us can, can lose some of its, its luster, lose some of its impact, but the Hebrew word for good is, is actually really powerful and has a lot of depth, and it's the Hebrew word tov or tov. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's T-O-V, you guys can Google that later. But the word has a lot of depth and richness to it, and so it has a handful of meanings that I want to unpack this morning. So if God creates everything, and at each phase of his creation, he looks and says, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. Well, what does it mean to be good? What does it mean that this is good? So the first thing we know um, from this word uh, in the Hebrew tov is that it, it, it demarks fine quality craftsmanship. Now, I've been off and on building furniture for my house for the past few years, and I know a lot of not fine quality craftsmanship when I see it, okay? I've broken enough Ikea furniture to know not fine quality craftsmanship when I see it. And when I see the quality craftsmanship of well-made furniture, I'm like, whoa, that's pretty sweet. That's pretty awesome. Um, I am a, a huge fan of music like most people in the world. And uh, I love when I can, can I go through a band's disc discography and find, oh, here's the moment in time when everything aligned for them. This is their masterpiece album where this is where everything fired together. They were inspired, the lyrics, the melody, everything came together for, for beauty. For me, Pearl Jam Versus is the moment when Pearl Jam finally hit, hit the stride. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, Tom Petty's Wildflowers. There's albums, and you guys have your own list of albums that are masterpieces, songs that are crafted. He said, this is a perfectly crafted song. It's a masterpiece. So fine quality craftsmanship. We see that also in, in, in Nature's Beauty, the Grand Canyon uh, the ocean near us, uh, the, the Blue Ridge Mountains. You watch the documentaries like Planet Earth, and you're like, man, creation is beautiful and diverse, and it took a quality artist to, to make all this work together. So fine quality craftsmanship is the first idea behind this word good. The second thing is harmonious. Everything works together, and we think about what we know now as we become more environmentally aware, how everything works together in the ecosystem in this fine harmony and balance. 
when we, the more we know about the human body, how everything in our body works together, and when one thing goes askew, it impacts all these other things. We were created intentionally and beautifully with harmony. And we think about the whole universe as it, as it stands. If our earth was tilted uh, one degree this way or this way, it just wouldn't work. So when God created everything, he created it with perfect harmony. The next idea behind this word good is, is that it's just made to be enjoyed. It's made to be enjoyed. And how many of you guys have ever just had a bite of dessert that was just perfect, and you just go, ah, oh, amazing. The perfect meal, the perfect glass of wine, conversation you walk away from. It's just a great experience that you just enjoyed. Creation is good, and that means it was meant to be enjoyed. In fact, we might describe those meals as divine. The chef just created something that was divine. We made to say, oh, my God, and we really mean it at that time. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Thank you, God. This food was great. Um, you kind of lose yourself in the joy of creation in that moment. And the last piece of, of this word good that ties into the idea of being enjoyed is just intentionality. There's an intentionality to the design of the universe for us to enjoy. When God created the ecosystems and everything uh, in, its, in the way that he did, he created it with us in mind for our enjoyment. He created this for us and for his glory. And I think God is, is glorified in us, which means God um, knows that he is valued. God's name is made great. When we enjoy creation, when we enjoy God himself, and we enjoy relationships with each other. So God is most glorified in, in us when we are satisfied in the things he's provided for our enjoyment. He's doing this to make his name great and to help us find satisfaction and fulfillment. And trust me, it's not because you're the center of the universe. It's not about that. It's just how he wired things for us as, as mankind to enjoy creation. I kind of liken it to uh, a parent planning the perfect birthday party for their kids because every fine detail, we, we want our kids to, to get the most joy out of this experience. And of course, the kids come into the scene and ruin everything, right? It's not as awesome as they thought. Apparently, Jurassic Park isn't appropriate for three-year-olds, okay? But anyway, we were, um, we were at uh, Crump Park, which is a weird name for a park. It's in Glen Allen uh, for the 4th of July, and our kids aren't, aren't super stoked on fireworks, but at Crump Park, they have the, the RBA Symphony, Richmond Symphony comes and plays a lot of tunes, and uh, when it gets dark, they start a laser show. And so we got there pretty early, lights going on, and I'm following my, my almost two-year-old around the park, and she's just, you know, she's having a good time. She's walking around, saying hey to everybody. She, my kids are extroverts, and I'm an introvert, and it's just real fun. Um, and she's eating food off the ground, and just, just doing what you do, you know. Uh, at Crump Park, how it goes down. And so, but it starts to get dark, and, and, and the symphony's still playing. And as soon as it gets to that moment, uh, the laser show pops on. I have actually have a picture of what that looks like. And so this laser show starts. There's, there's the hazers, so you can see all this stuff. And my kid's just doing her stuff, and all of a sudden she just goes, what is this? This is amazing. And she completely lost her mind in the best possible way. She was just enthralled, and she's like, can you believe, what, like, are you guys seeing what I'm seeing right now? Can you believe this? This is awesome. <laughs> and, of course, for me, you know, it, it's just a beautiful moment. I'm tearing up, I'm like, man, I want to give my kids these kind of moments their whole life. And when God created everything, this is what he had in mind, that we would lose our minds in the beauty and, and goodness of creation. So when's the last time you've lost your mind in a good way? I'm also a little concerned that that means she's going to really be into raves. A.W. <laughs> Tozer has a quote. Uh, he's an old, 
going to be so alive. He's an old theologian, um, great writer, and he says this. We talk about the goodness of God. What does it mean that God's good, that creation's good? He says, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tenderhearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. And I want us just to read that last line a couple times and let it sink in. He takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Creation is made and God says that it's good and that reveals to us that God is good. And when we say that God is good, we mean he's intentionally kind towards us. He, he, is, he takes holy pleasure in our happiness. He pursues that for us. And my question for myself and for all of us in this room this morning is, do we really believe that? A lot of us were raised in church and we hear stuff like, God is holy, he's good, he's righteous, he's powerful. We hear God is love, Jesus loves you, God loves you. And when I hear that, and you can, maybe you guys can relate to this, I'm like, okay, but he loves everybody. <laughs> That's not that big of a deal. He loves me because he has to, he's obligated to but what scriptures tell us even beyond this obligation of loving us is that actually God likes us, that he's rooting for us, that he's pulling for us. And that's the question this morning. Do you think we all kind of know or know or something that God loves us, but do you think God actually likes you, that he cares for you, that he wants um, you to have a full life, that he's rooting for you? I struggle with that. You know, I was raised in the faith tradition that I always felt like God was mad at me. Or disappointed in me. I heard the gospel. I knew that Jesus came and he, he died on the cross for my sins. He paid my debt and I can be in a relationship with him. But I didn't, still didn't own that. I don't know if I still do even now. That not only does God love me, but he likes me. That he's not always mad at me or always disappointed in me. That he's rooting for me. That he's pulling for me. And if Genesis 1 tells us that, cre- that creation is good and meant to be enjoyed and for our pleasure... A second thing I really wrestle with is then why does life suck sometimes? If this is for us and all harmony and and, and all these good stuff, then why does life sometimes feel like that? I don't know if you guys can relate. For me, it's if God is good, if creation is good, then then why did my sister die at three years old? If 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 God is is good and creation is good, then why did my um, parents' marriage fall apart? If God is good and, and creation is good, then why did my dad just give up on all of it? And we all have our different than, but why, than why. There's a tension there because the first thing that the Bible says, period, about God is that he created this uh, for us, that it is good, that this life is good, that, that we're good, that he's good. But our experiences obviously sometimes don't line up with that foundational truth of Scripture. So we have this fundamental problem or this tension of how do I believe and trust in the goodness of God in those moments when I'm really angry or or I'm really disappointed. There's a song um, Pink Floyd wrote. It's famous, but it's from the album The Wall, Comfortably Numb, and there's a line in the song that I think is beautiful. And it says, When I was a child, I caught a fleeting glimpse out of the corner of my eye I turned to look, but it was gone. I cannot put my finger on. The dream is gone. 
the child is gone, and I've become comfortably numb. And I can sort of resonate with that line because there's times in my life where I see the fleeting glimpse of what life could be, of the beauty of what life could be. I see it in the laughter of my kids. I see it in, in dinner conversations with great friends. I see it on the porch when conversations with my wife. I see it on hikes. There's moments in my life where I catch the fleeting glimpse and say, oh, this is what is meant by creation is good. But then I'm fighting for those things. So there's this tension of believing that that's true, that this can be good, that this is good with the tension of suffering. So the question for us is, can you believe it? Can you believe that creation is good? Can you believe that God is good, that he, that he likes you, that he's kind and, and kind, has kind thoughts towards you, um, that he loves you, he likes you? Can you believe that? It's a tough tension. And with that, we are God's, as you go through Genesis chapter one, we are the, the climax of the creation story. He made us in his image. And if God communicates who he is through his creation, then he also communicates who he is through us. We are one of the mediums through which God communicates his love and kindness. So the challenge for us this morning is, is can I trust in the goodness of God? Can I, can I find those fleeting glimpses more and more in my life where I see his goodness around me? Can I cling to those and taste those and experience those and hold on for dear life in those moments? And then secondly, can I be a medium for God's kindness towards others. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, and I pray as we come to your word that we are challenged and encouraged, that we are living in that tension of suffering and joy, and that we can see you in the moments, um, in both of those, those types of moments. Teach us to honor you and to see you in, in, in all the things. And small things in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.